was it was really good to chat with Tabitha about the decision to freeze bank accounts, talking about finances. One of the things that we saw coming out of the freezing of bank accounts was people thinking about their money and their investments, diversifying, buying precious metals, investing in cryptocurrency, maybe getting out of the banks. And so we want to talk to you about our friends over at Bull Bitcoin, born out of the desire to separate money from the state because Boy, oh boy, is that needed today. Bitcoin epitomizes freedom money, an uncensorable network programmed around digital scarcity where the individual is in full control and accountable for his own property. Bull Bitcoin, Canada's most trusted Bitcoin exchange since 2013, is a 100% self-funded company led and operated by incorruptible activists for individual liberties and freedom. At Bull Bitcoin, security and privacy are a priority. Customers' funds are transferred directly to their Bitcoin wallet in their own possession. With Bull Bitcoin, you never run the risk of losing your money. You own the money. Sign up at mission.bullbitcoin.com LCC and get started with your account's creation today. Contact Bull's best in the business customer support team at any point to request assistance throughout the process. Take control of your money. Mission dot bullbitcoin.com slash lcc can i just so matt one of the key locations where protests were taking place was at the ambassador bridge there were lengthy sections in the final report from the poec about windsor and the ambassador bridge so we have a friend from windsor who loves the lord and who witnessed what happened in windsor and in ottawa as well and that's dr aaron rock Aaron is the lead pastor at Harvest Bible Chapel and fellow for church leadership of the Ezra Institute. Aaron hosts the Leadership Now podcast on our Fight, Laugh, Feast network. You need to subscribe to his podcast and listen. Aaron, the last couple episodes have been real bangers. And so we keep pointing people to listen to your stuff. It's very good. He and his wife, Susie, have been married since 1995. Together, they have five adult children all of whom have come to faith in Christ and serve him in church ministries. And this is slightly outdated because there are a couple grandbabies as well since the last time we interviewed you. So congratulations, Grandpa Aaron, and thank you for joining us on the Liberty Dispatch. It's great to have you. Well, thank you, guys. I hope I don't uh, look too much older now that I'm a grandpa. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it is true. We have um, one on the ground and one in the oven, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, we're, we're really loving the little guy. Um, his name's Valor. And then we have a, a granddaughter that's uh, percolating. And uh, she's she's supposed to enter the world uh, in June. So we're pretty excited about that. And praise God. Well, to take from uh, to take from Dr. Seuss and the oven category, the oven analogy, a cake is a cake no matter how baked it is. <laughs> it is always a cake. Yeah. So we're, part of why we uh, part of why I wanted to have you on the show. It, it, well, one of one of the reasons is we always appreciate your insight and your worldview analysis and your ability to approach these things from a Christian perspective that's thoughtful, that helps people to make sense of what's going on in the world. Because there are a lot of people who live in Windsor and a lot of people who know what's going on that we really don't trust what they say. So that's the first thing. The second thing is because, as we said, you you witnessed what happened in Windsor and in Ottawa, and you live in Windsor. That's where your church is located. So I wanted to read you a portion from the Public Emergency, Public Order Emergency Commission, their find their kind of final report and the analysis 
and what they said about what happened in Windsor. And so this is a couple different sections I've put together. This is what uh, Commissioner Rulo said. Ambassador Bridge was sometimes only partially blocked and other times fully blockaded. However, throughout this period, commercial traffic was at a standstill. The province of Ontario also took action on February 11th. In addition to supporting the injunction application, it declared that an emergency existed under the Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act, the EMCPA. It used its powers under that law to give police additional authorities to remove blockades. On the morning of February 12th, there were approximately 500 protesters. By the afternoon of February 12th, however, the number of protesters had increased enough to outnumber police and police observed mounting aggression. Intelligence collected by police following the clearing of the blockades reflected that there were continued threats to the bridge and other locations in Windsor. In some cases, these threats materialized. So what are your thoughts on these words? There were some things asserted there by Justice Rouleau about the, the, the temperature of what was going on around the Ambassador Bridge, the materializing of threats, the nature of it being a blockade. He says that more than once. What are your thoughts on these words from the final report? Sure. Well, you know, the Bible talks about establishing everything based upon eyewitness testimony. Um, obviously, in the Ten Commandments, there's a prohibition against perjuring yourself in court because uh, eyewitness testimony is really, really important. And one of the broad concerns I've had during the media coverage of Ottawa, the media coverage of Windsor, this may apply to Coots, Alberta as well, is that you have all kinds of people sharing their opinions on it and adjudicating on a matter they never actually saw. So I can just tell you what I saw. I think the report is accurate when it acknowledges that it was not a full blockade. There were times when lanes were open. There were times when lanes were closed as is what I witnessed. So that's that's true. I never saw any aggression uh, directed from one human being to the next. I never heard anybody speak of any aggression. And I would just say, if if there were instances where someone demonstrated some aggression towards another person, toward another protester, toward another, toward a police officer, towards some sort of a civil servant, uh, I never saw that. I actually never heard reports of that. Uh, frankly, I, I kind of doubt it. But if there was an expression of aggression here or there, it it was so minute that, frankly, it's it's I find it a little bit disgusting that that would even be highlighted in the report because the the overall tenure, I can tell you this with absolute certainty, even though the report, denies this both in Ottawa and perhaps to a lesser degree in Windsor. The, the overall mood was peaceful, was celebratory on a certain level, but also was earnest. You know, there's been a lot of coverage about how people were acting when they were at the protest, but what people seem to lose sight of is why were they there? Why were people out of all locations you can be at at the Ambassador Bridge? A bridge, by the way, 
which for all intents and purposes had been closed to the vast majority of the public time and time and time again under lockdown. We need to stress that. A bridge that had been closed time and time and time again for months on end by the officials and then opened and then closed and opened and then closed. But the reason why protesters were there, listen to this carefully, is because they themselves were not allowed to cross it. They were locked into their own country. It was a symbolic gesture. And frankly, I find it repulsive that individuals who were permitted by the state to cross the bridge would chastise those that were inappropriately excluded from crossing the bridge for protesting at the bridge. That needs to be brought back into the narrative. So it is true that the bridge was was open and closed. The protesters I spoke with were willing to open lanes if officials would just come out and talk to them, which they never did. So um, it's important to understand that the, the local officials never came and spoke to the protesters to the best of my knowledge. They never had any any conversations with them at all. And to the best of my knowledge, until the police showed up in force and formed that line in the early hours of that morning to push protesters out, to the best of my knowledge, no police officer ever even asked a protester to leave the area. And in fact, I actually spoke with one of the ranking police officers on site and I asked that question, why, why this big police presence when at the time there might have been I think maybe 35 people on site. Why this big police presence when you've never even bothered asking these guys to leave? And I think they would have been willing to leave if they'd have been asked. In fact, when the police lined up and and they were asked to leave, I would say the vast majority of vehicles, at least at the foot of the bridge, immediately moved out. So didn't see any aggression. I'd put my hand in the Bible uh, to swear that fact. Um, the bridge lanes were open and closed at various points in time. So there's there's some factuality in that uh, report about Windsor, and, and, and I do believe there's some inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really interested, Dr. Rock, on what you kind of wanted to highlight about this situation, um, about the fact that it seems as though there's this wild double standard at play here that the government can inappropriately um, remove people's civil liberties, that they can (laughs) stop them from freely coming and going uh, from the country. And that's just automatically presupposed to be legitimate and good. Um, But if um, anybody that were a concerned citizen would block the, the border that it would be seen as this treasonous act of, of some sort. And um, I'm very intrigued with the fact that um, it, it seems that from what I've been able to ascertain in the report, that the blockade of the Windsor, uh, the bridge was really kind of a catalyst to getting um, American officials involved in the situation and putting pressure on the Canadian feds to the point where they were saying, Hey, this could really affect our relationship with one another. This is the most uh, important bridge uh, in Canada as far as trades concerned. So you guys better deal with the situation. And it seems like the province and really the 
feds, despite all their lying, um, they were kind of unconcerned about invoking the emergency act until there was pressure put on the situation because the ambassador bridge there. But it's interesting to me. And I think you make this point clear that our government can destroy our economy for two years by its overweening COVID lockdown policies. But the second that um, you get people who are frustrated over the continued lockdowns and mandates pushing back and, you know, doing a symbolic blockade of the bridge, all of a sudden, our government officials are immediately worried about GDP and trade relationships and the economy. So maybe maybe you can talk a little bit about the double standards that that, that entails, because I do think that's been largely missed in the whole conversation as it pertains to the subject. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we... We do believe that authority is mandated by God. God God has put various institutions in place. We do believe that in a properly ordered society, there should be a civil government in place that is rewarding the righteous and penalizing the, the evildoer. Romans 13 teaches that pretty clearly. But I'm not seeing a whole lot of benevolence, and I haven't seen a whole lot of benevolence in the lockdowns. The lockdowns uh, have largely been dictated by one establishment within uh, civil society, and that is the medical establishment, and tied to them the pharmaceutical establishment. There was really no real consideration for the uh, spiritual costs, the social costs, the mental costs, or the economic costs of endless lockdowns. It was a, a, a very... Uh, very singular focused response, protect biotic health at all costs. And even among the medical professionals that were consulted, it's, it's noteworthy to mention that it was the statist technocratic medical establishment that was consulted. Whenever a physician or health practitioner outside of the technocracy would stand up and push back against a narrative or question the epidemiological response, they were they were ostracized or penalized or canceled in some way, shape or form. So we know that that all happened. That's a matter of, of, of public record. And so we went through endless lockdowns. The businesses that had problems getting across the Ambassador Bridge during the protest, these same businesses had problems getting across the Ambassador Bridge during lockdown number one, lockdown number two, lockdown number three, which didn't last for a, a week on end. They lasted for months on end. There was all sorts of economic devastation, which we're going to be paying for probably for generations. So we have all of that going on. And then we have this, this arbitrary uh, penalty placed upon unvaccinated truckers, primarily truckers or cross-border commuters many of whom previously had been labeled essential workers or, or heroes in society for keeping supplies flowing back and forth across the border. And then when the tide changes and they're, they're, they're expendable, suddenly, suddenly they're, they're not allowed to cross, cross the bridge. And when they, when they put their hand up and say, actually, this is wrong, and no one listens, they put their hand up again and say, over here, we're out of work and no one listens. And they put their hand up a third time and say, no one listens. 
and then out of exasperation decide, well, we're going to go to the place that we're not allowed to cross and we're going to form a protest in front of it. All of a sudden, they're the bad guys. Imagine that. And the problem is in a society like ours, the people that have all the power are the politicians. We talk about peaceful protests, but it essentially amounts to nothing. You can protest on, on our terms is the message the government has communicated to Canadians. When you read the, the report that was tabled by the POEC in the back of it, I just have the executive summary here, which is like 260 pages long. <laughs> it's you, one, you, only you, one fifth of that, the, yeah. the five volume yeah. tome. Yeah. I can guarantee you uh, that this justice ruler didn't write the whole thing. Um, so you look at the back of recommendations, there are, what do we have here? 56 recommendations made in the, in the summary conclusion. And they, they all revolve around, unless I've missed one here, but fundamentally 99%, if not 100% of them, all revolve around protecting the government so this doesn't happen again, is essentially what the summary is. Mm -hmm. Form this agency, do this study, do this research, Make sure you don't let misinformation and disinformation out through social media. All these recommendations are about protecting the establishment, mm -hmm. which is the exact same thing people were protesting. And making none it bigger. Pro, none of this is pro-citizen. Yeah. Where's the recommendation that says maybe you should apologize and reimburse people that lost their livelihood and went bankrupt? For maybe garbage you should vaccines. that people received for simply trying to attend church mm -hmm. so this is a this is a protectionist document mm -hmm. this is a protectionist document with due respect to those who put it together it's a protectionist document that protects the trudeau government that protects the state gives them a little slap on the wrist once in a while you know calls them out for calling us fringe minority but essentially it's a protectionistic document and all this, all this serves to do, all this serves to do to the intelligent reader is to actually reinforce the very narrative that protesters were protesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, it redefines it. it, right? Like you said, it, it, that, that it's only, it's protest only on the terms of our elected officials, but it's, it's worse than that, that it says, if it's not a protest on their terms, it's not even a protest at all. They will call it an occupation or yeah. a siege. So unless it's a protest that they have approved of, then it's not actually a protest. And all of those recommendations don't only protect the state more, but it's going to make the state bigger because you're going to have to have other committees and other plans yeah. and other legislative measures, which is more spending and a bigger government. And so the, the part of the problem was as Bruce Party likes to say, a a fully overgrown fat managerial state is part of the part of the problem we're in. Mm -hmm. And so the solution is, well, let's just do more and spend more and make it bigger so that this doesn't happen again. But that's been our issue is that that, that, that problem is why we're here. And so it, it, it is an exacerbation of the issues and they admit as much in the actual document, which is it's troubling. That that's the can they're open about it they're brazen about the fact that they don't think they did anything really wrong and they just want more money and power to make sure that the not wrong thing doesn't happen again and and when you talk about protectionism aaron 
anybody looking at this conclusion understands that that is exactly what Rulo is doing. He was trying to uh, protect the government from what I think an accurate reporting and, and a measured response based off of the actual threshold of the EA would have meant. Because I think it was clear to anybody who watched those um, proceedings, those public hearings, that they so blatantly did not meet that threshold, even by their own evidence from their expert witnesses from CSIS, OPP, all those things. So he really essentially on the thinnest of readings said that based off of the perceived threat and kind of vague instances of violence that they were um, justified in using the act. But I think everybody can really see through what was going on. And it was a decision not based in justice, wanting to see justice being done, but again, to protect the institutions at play here. And that is part of the problem. Not to mention the fact there's no solution granted to the citizen. So if, if, mm -hmm. if we're not allowed to protest unless the government approves it and they don't, they, at that point in time, they didn't approve any protest because you're locked down. What are we supposed to do? Have Zoom protests? Are we supposed to have text messaging protests? So when you lock a citizenry down for three consecutive lockdowns, totaling months and months and months on end, and they say, you know what? We're actually coming out of our houses and we're going to protest at the nation's capital. And by the way, I would remind everyone that lives in Ottawa, you live in the nation's capital. That's our city. That doesn't belong to the former mayor of Ottawa, that's our city. I have the right to go to Ottawa whenever I want because it's our city. You're not living in Windsor, you're not living in Barrie, you're living in the nation's capital. And frankly, you know, I, it, was, uh, it was completely inappropriate for the mayor of, of Ottawa and for the citizens to constantly remind protesters, you're in our city, you're in our city, you're in our city. If you want to live in downtown Ottawa, you're living in Canada's city. And what I would have liked to have seen is all the residents of Ottawa come out and stand with the protesters and say to the government en masse, this has to end, to stand with one another instead of taking sides with the government. So there's lot, lots, lots that can be said there, but um, this, this document and this response, I think is dangerous because what it essentially does to the citizen, I'll just say it this way, what it essentially does to the citizen is it just says to us, sit down and shut up, mm. do what we tell you mm -hmm. on our terms when we want. And if you don't do what we tell you, we're going to crack the whip and use a long arm of the long arm of the law in whatever way we can to uh, to subvert any dissent. And more broadly, that's what we've seen against churches. Right. Do what we tell. That's what we see in the last three years. Do what we tell you or else you'll be punished for it. Why don't you just be like all the other people who are listening to us? And then when you bring your charter challenges, will find that even if your rights were violated, it doesn't matter because given section one, it was legitimate or mm -hmm. you keep your restaurant open and what's going to happen. Well, we'll just stick the, we'll stick the, we'll stick the uh, alcohol and gaming commission on you. 
they'll get rid of your license and we'll basically fine you into oblivion. And so the last three years has been in all these spheres in schools and businesses and churches, the state who's grown fat and tried to swallow all these other spheres within itself has said, we're God, we're going to tell you what to do. And if you don't do what we tell you, we'll punish you for it. So it would be better for you to listen to and obey us like all these other really good citizens. And the point about the citizens of Ottawa not speaking out, again, this was every sphere. Where were all the teachers speaking out against putting muzzles on kids' faces? Where were all the pastors speaking out about people who were forced to stay home? Where were all the business owners speaking out against the small businesses that were being crushed? They were, they were nowhere to be found. And so maybe this, you know, this, this question has, that I'm going to ask you is related to this because we've seen the response from the general population. We've clearly seen the response from the state that demands obedience under the threat of punishment. But what are we to, to understand? What are we to take away when we think about Canada more broadly, about this report, about the response, about the conclusions? What does this mean for our country? What, what kind of situation are we in? Where are we going? How are we to understand this report and its implications for us from a true and biblical worldview perspective? Well, I, th I think we need to see in the report the, the worldview, the ideologies that are being promoted here. And, you know, we, we talk about, we use the word woke often, which sort of captures the, this, the, the culture wars, the left, the left leaning uh, issues of the day. I mean, the LGBTQ issues, the, the fake racism issues, the, the, um, uh, the, the globalist issues and on and on and on that are, being discussed and being promoted in our our public institutions this this document one of the things i was thinking about when i was skimming through this document is how much of that woke agenda how much of that that godless anti-theonomic agenda it has infected every level of our society so let me give a couple examples of this. I, I, I printed this off, the executive summary, and I just put a few uh, tabs uh, throughout the document of comments that piqued my interest. And there's a comment on uh, page 54 where the, the commissioner says, I also heard evidence of homophobic and transphobic slurs being directed at residents and of racialized residents feeling targeted. That's interesting. Well, why not say, I heard evidence of some um, people being sworn at. I, I heard evidence of uh, people being treated inappropriately. By the way, I'd like to see that evidence. I'd like to see the video footage of that evidence. But notice that the specific issues he focuses in on here are the ones that everyone's talking about in culture that the progressive left is promoting. Like you can't turn one way or the next without hearing a teacher or university professor or now a judge bringing back into the, the forefront of the conversation this the homophobic rhetoric, the transphobic rhetoric, the, 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 the racialized rhetoric. We have, we obviously uh, would not advocate for someone mistreating another person or threatening another person. 
but it strikes me as like how is this relevant to the to the to the freedom convoy in ottawa because when i was in ottawa and i have photographic evidence of this i i had pictures with people of all different skin tones and all different backgrounds and different religions from, from all different countries of the earth and this this particular document you know it it, it sort of it sort of is bent in the direction of that that white supremacy narrative, that that anti-Christian narrative. It goes on to talk about residents saw symbols of hate in their community, including swastikas and the Confederate flag. Oh, really? How about the four thousand Canadian flags you also saw from the Patriots that participated in in that event? Um, there's another comment, if I could find it here, uh, in the document that is just an example of a, I, I think it, um, a desire to sort of frame the narrative in a, in a specific way. The commissioner, and again, to the best of my knowledge, he wasn't on the ground participating as an eyewitness. He makes this, um, he makes this judgment. This is on page 139. At the same time, I do not accept the evidence espoused by the organizers that they were never aware of harassment, intimidation, or other non-peaceful conduct by protesters. Oh, really? So you're calling me a liar? Because I never saw any of that. And we could have sworn affidavits probably from thousands of people that would swear to the fact that they also never saw harassment or intimidation or non-peaceful protesters there i didn't see any of that did you guys see that i didn't see that i mean by if, and, if by harassment you mean they kept they kept putting all this french toast and coffee and donuts in my face and they kept saying like, by harassment you mean if by harassment you mean being hugged by complete strangers <laughs> in, with canadian flags who were crying while they were dancing because every corner had a different truck with speakers and different music playing then sure, that would I guess yeah. that would be the only kind of harassment that I saw, which is being loved yeah. by strangers and 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 offered more hats and hand warmers than I can count. Yeah, that was the assault. It, it, it really it really causes you to lose trust in the establishment. You, you literally you could have thousands of sworn affidavits. All kinds of people were were in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. They would swear they never saw harassment, they never saw intimidation or hatred. And this guy says, I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. Really, were you there? <laughs> I'll give you another one here. This, this is, this is sad and hilarious at the same time. Okay, think about this. We're in a culture where it's okay for little kids to have their genitals cut off if they want to identify with some newfangled gender that they've concocted. Mm -hmm. It's okay for drag queens to twerk in front of kids in our public institutions. It's okay to expose children to every godless, heinous ideology out there but this is what he says i heard evidence of protesters bringing young children to protests in ottawa windsor and coots oh can you imagine that how terrible for parents to to bring their kids down for hot dogs to wave canadian flags to say we actually want to promote the freedoms that my great-grandfather died for in france that your great-great-grandfather died for in France. We want to promote that. He goes on to say, children may have been used to prevent 
police enforcement. Okay, that that is complete. Here's the theological word for that. That's bunk. <laughs> in, in, in the Greek and in the Hebrew. Yeah, in the yeah. Greek and in the Hebrew and in the Aramaic. But right? Aaron, to your point, though, no, they don't. But the question, it, it is sad and hilarious, but the reason is they don't want our kids there because they don't want us teaching our kids the importance of civic responsibility, mm -hmm. that Christians need to be engaged in the cultural political sphere. They don't want us teaching our kids about real justice, mm -hmm. about accountability among elected officials. They don't want us teaching our kids the history of our country. They, yeah. want, it, they want us to teach our kids a skewed, distorted history of, of white colonialists who came here and just slaughtered all the indigenous people and established their Christian white supremacist nationalist mm -hmm. country. They don't actually want us to teach our kids and train them and equip them to think objectively and rationally and to understand truth and history and civics. Mm -hmm. What they really want is they want to brainwash our kids to think that tranny stuff is normative <laughs> and that we need to hate our own country and ourselves because the three of us are a bunch of cisgender white christian heterosexual males and so yeah. they want us they want our kids to think we're the problem you know did yeah, you and... see the the video um when rulo actually like when he when he read his finding have you seen that video no so he started yeah, off I matt and i've talked it. about this already he started off before he read his thing he said to your point about the woke beast having devoured all of it he started off by saying we just i want to acknowledge that we are having this meeting upon the historic land of this particular tribe. Yeah, yeah, right. He started off by saying, just so we all well, know, we're all on stolen land. Yeah. Um, now let's give the report. That, and that's, that was how that's, he started. That's Marxist post-colonial theory in praxis right there. Like, that's what that is. It's all just wrapped up there. And that's when they use the word racialized, right? That grand conspiracy theory, Andrew, that you just laid out, that's... That's why they use this past tense of a verb, because we set up this Judeo-Christian civilization, set up this grand white supremacy hierarchy. It's all racial minorities in the country have been racialized. That's what lays there in that one word. That's that whole theory in one word. And that's the presupposition that Aaron's getting at. And I'm struck, Andrew, by the fact that you guys talk about People were there waving Canadian flags. The reason they're so upset about that, and they still ban Canadian flags on Parliament Hill to yes, this day. Do. I was um, there on Saturday. You yeah. cannot have a Canadian flag waving around on Parliament Hill. Yeah, They still ban it to this day. It's because that's no longer the flag of our nation. And we've talked about this on the program before. The new flag of Canada is the pride progress flag. And if you had flown that flag the government would have had nothing to say to you, but you didn't fly the right flag because there's been a cultural revolution that's taken place in our country and the neo-Marxists are in control and you see it evident in decisions like this, though buried, yes, the presuppositions that Rulo is working on is so clearly uh, neo-Marxist, it's insane. Well, you look at the, you look at the, the anecdotal uh, evidence that they use to try to build this fear narrative in order to justify the invoking of the Emergencies Act. And they're using guys like Pat King as the, you know, the arc, the archetype protester. I mean, obviously, you're going to get thousands and thousands of people in an area, you're going to get some 
oddballs. You're going to get some people saying things that the average person very much disagrees with. But to make it as simple as simple can get, the reason why these protests took place in all of those lo these locations is because the government was tyrannizing its people. They were telling them you can't worship, you can't go to funerals, you can't work, you can't go to church. It's as simple as that. Yeah. You can't leave your country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's as simple as yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I love I love how the, though they tried to nut pick with King especially, even Rouleau it has to be super measured in his comments because he's like, oh, there's actually good evidence that they found or the, the protest organizers didn't really want him involved and they were really trying to tell him to cool his jets and they over and over again expressed how they wanted the entire protest to be peaceful and everything. So even in his supposed not picking he had to he couldn't just come out and say it because it's just factually not true right so mm -hmm. interesting stuff so aaron what do we like okay so you have grandkids now <laughs> so you're you're seeing the world differently obviously very similar but i've heard from a number of men who love the lord that once they have grandkids they 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 start to see the world in the future just a little bit differently Right. Your kids are about a half a generation or a generation younger than me. And your grandkids, again, would probably be about half a generation younger than my kids. And so you're thinking about things differently than you were just a couple of years ago, because you see now in the faces of your grandkids, people who will be in their 40s and 50s. You know, you and I, we might be gone at that point. So what do we what are we to do as 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 Christians? I mean, people who watch our show, there's kind of the broad freedom movement. But at the end of the day, if you, you know, if you don't approach this, if you don't understand how to operate from a biblical perspective, you're building on sand. It's arbitrary. You don't have anything. Now, we would welcome the non-Christians to join us, but we need to ground our action on what is true objectively. So with that worldview in mind, what do we do? What do we, how are we to operate moving forward now in, in our country? Sure. Well, obviously there's, there's sort of two, two major categories for us to have this conversation. And we want to bring reform to our nation. We want to see God's supremacy acknowledged, not just on some document as the header of a, a charter. But we want to see God's laws God's person acknowledged, and because he is a benevolent and loving and good God, whenever his laws and person are acknowledged, nations are blessed. People only benefit from that. He's not a, he's not a cosmic killjoy. He's not a tyrant God. He, When we obey him, life just gets a whole lot better. And so we want to see the civil government, and in fact, all spheres of society, surrender themselves to the will of the Lord. And so in terms of how that happens, well, obviously we didn't get here overnight. So Christians have to stop thinking we're going to fix all this through one protest or, you know, a couple, a couple years of uh, political activism or a couple sermon series. We have to think long-term. And one of the most strategic things you can do is yes, continue to influence and teach and correct and instruct the current generation. Continue to do that, but focus a lot of your time on the next generation. Make sure that we're teaching our children these things in advance. Make sure that we, we are, we are 
taking full responsibility, for example, for the education of our children. This is why we, we need to see across our country solid Christian schools popping up everywhere so that we can educate the next generation. The, the next generation, they're going to be the lawyers. They're going to be the, 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 the judges. Uh, they're they're going to be those running for office. So we need, we need to do that. We need to educate, educate, educate. And we need to think long term. We need to extricate ourselves as much as possible from being tyrannized by the system. So we need more Christian entrepreneurs. If you're an entrepreneur, start a business yesterday and employ like-minded people. Uh, we need to start financial systems. We need to build beachheads in our in our provinces to, to help protect people from, you're never gonna be fully protected, but to help to protect people from things like having their mortgages canceled or their insurance canceled or their, their jobs closed down because they're so tied into the system. So there's some practical things we need to do there. And running Christians for, for political office, it's, it's, it's critical. Christians for, for the most part just steer clear of it because they think there's no point. Well, there is a point. Politics isn't the ultimate solution, but it's part of rebuilding culture. So there's all of that. And then the other thing I would say is this is a great time to be a Christian because when the church is persecuted, and it has been, when the church is persecuted, when good people are commanded to do what, to not do what God has commanded them to do, like not worship, not work, not ordain, not offer the holy kiss, not meet. When good people are told they cannot do what God has commanded them to do, it really forces you to take stock of who's your daddy. Is Jesus Christ King of Kings and Lord of Lords or is he not? And it forces you to think through these issues. And what I've seen is many that I thought would stand have fallen and need to repent and there's joy in repentance by the way not humiliation but joy and then the second thing would be um to just look around you and see the big picture god is god is leading people to himself all over our country you know we we've we've had all kinds of people come to faith in jesus christ directly as a result of the circumstances around us so while we want to analyze and express our, our righteous anger and our concern at what's taking place by the tyrants and the godless ideologues in our culture, we also want to take time to praise and worship God, that he's doing an amazing thing. We need to be part of that. Okay. We need to preach the full gospel, the full mm -hmm. gospel into all spheres of life and worship loud and worship big because God's doing an amazing thing. And as much as in my humanness, I can't stand a lot of the stuff that's taking place. I also think it's an incredible time to be a Christian. And it's our privilege to live at such a time as this. Mm -hmm. so I, I hope people are encouraged by that because I I am more days than not. Mm -hmm. Isn't it good to, you know, it, it, it feels, and I don't want to use the word feels, it is a good thing to love the Lord, to be a part of his kingdom people and to be where the fight is. Mm -hmm. I think that's something we've, 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 we've come to realize in the last number of years that, well, what happens when persecution comes and what happens when it really becomes costly to follow Christ? And I think we've realized because we've been able to make it out of the last number of years relatively mm -hmm. unscathed 
I think we realize it is a good thing. It is a, it is a, it enjoyable, not in the, not in the sadomasochistic way, but enjoyable because we, he, and what does the scripture say? You've, you've trained my hands for war. Mm-hmm. You've taught me how to pull back the bow. You give me the feet that I might, the feet of the deer that I might stand on the side of the cliff. Like it is a good thing to be where the fight is when yeah. our, when we are indeed helping to advance the kingdom of God as the mm-hmm. church is being built and as all things are being brought under the Lordship of Christ. This is why we had you on, Aaron. I, <laughs> but the reality is indeed, it, 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 we're thinking through how do we how do we weave these issues of the political stuff, but then how are we supposed to understand them from a worldview that is Christian and, and how to move forward? Um, Matt and I thought we couldn't think of a whole lot of other people that would be able to, to weave that together for us like you. So mm-hmm. we really appreciate you joining us on the, on the dispatch. I'm, I'm, confident that our discussion will be encouraging and a blessing to many in our audience who who watch it or who listen to it so thank you well thanks andrew and thanks Matta. i love you guys and keep up the good work <laughs> love you too brother thanks for coming on thanks, man. at bull bitcoin security and privacy are a priority customers funds are transferred directly to their bitcoin wallet in their own possession with bull bitcoin you never run the risk of losing your money you own the money Sign up at mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC and get started with your account's creation today. Contact Bull's best in the business customer support team at any point to request assistance throughout the process. Take control of your money. Mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. Can I just finish there? Yep. Then we're right into Aaron. Then we'll, we'll be you and I right into Aaron. And then do we want to, do we want? Well, Andrew, I'm so thankful that uh, Tabitha and Aaron have come on to the program to help us digest these things because we have a lot of feelings. We're still working through these things. I know each and every one of us is thinking through the ramifications of what's taken place. And, you know, there's been a lot of discussion in our our, um, area, in, in our circles, Andrew, about what is the appropriate way to react to government overreach, them trampling our civil liberties. And I think we have to ask that question again in light of what's going on. Um, You and I, Andrew, were on the front lines here. We're fighting the battle in Canada. (laughs) But I do just want to give for our listeners just some food for thought. Um, We've talked about Protestant resistance theory, how that actually pertains to an understanding of Romans 13, stuff like that on the program. Um, Also, traditionally, Protestants throughout history have laid out a framework of civic engagement. And I think this is really what I want to kind of just bring before people's minds at this current time, because these are serious conversations that we have to keep on having. Essentially, the three steps to civic engagement um, are as follows. So a a redress of grievances. So protesting, um, pushing back against the government, getting involved in government to try and change and shape the 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 outcomes of government, you know, just through political engagement, ordinary political engagement. That is step one, right? That's always the first step that we're getting into. So Christians getting active in politics, um, Christians, you know, on mass demonstrating or protesting like we saw with the convoy. That's one. If that is not 
available. Step two, as historically laid out by Protestants down through the ages, is fleeing. If you can no longer redress grievances or actively shape the course of government in your country, then fleeing becomes an option. Um, now, throughout Protestant history, that's looked like fleeing for a period until it's safe to return, then going back and ministering in that community. That's generally how things have been done. Um because fleeing doesn't necessarily mean abandoning the fight. It, it means a strategic retreat oftentimes. But then third, if none of those things are possible, so if it's not possible to redress grievances if or protest as we're seeing, it's becoming less and less possible. Um, if you can't flee, um, then that would be, it's only under those two extreme circumstances, then armed resistance would be a thing hist historically in the Protestant movement. So I just want to lay out that fra framework for people to think about. Do I think it's going to be people are going to be at different spots where they think we are in Canada, and I'm going to leave that to people's conscience. I think it's very clear that we're not all the way down to step three. But I do think, Andrew, this is a dangerous, though it's not a legal precedent, though it's an extrajudicial case, as Tabitha, you know, uh, she balanced our concerns about it. Um, I do think it is indicative of where Canada is as it, it, it pertains to regesses of grievances. So I just want to lay it out that framework for people to think through. I think it's a helpful thing to think through. Um and I, I'll leave it up to people's consciences to decide where we are at and, and what would be appropriate for their own families, their own churches, things like that. But I did kind of want to give that, Andrew. And, you know, you and I are in the position where we're still here. We're in for the fight. That's kind of what we've discussed. But I, I thought it would be helpful to think through that issue. Yeah, I um. So, you know, it's it's been an emotional week for me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's been, you know, just difficult to process it being back in Ottawa again on Saturday, hanging out with Josh Alexander, his brother and Monty being able to interview them and just talk with people actually had at least one really neat couple. There were teachers, retired teachers came up to me. Everyone was going up to Josh. He was a celebrity. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Hugs and pictures. And I'm like, I'm great to just observe. He's obviously at the tip of the spear in another way. I had one older retired couple come up to me. It was fitting, of course, the old retired couple. <laughs> they, they said they're so thankful for the show and for watching it. And we got into a really good discussion about what's going on in schools and the education system. And it was it was informative. I was thankful for it. it, was, it it's been an emotional time leading up to the one year anniversary of this ending. Um, you know, it's 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 made me even more reflective than normal, mm. um, trying to think about what's going on and. You know, some of the, some of the takeaways in terms of worldview takeaways, uh, kind of mindset takeaways. It's clear, Matt, it is clear mm -hmm. that we live in a world where a very large portion of Canadians have been so brainwashed and so deceived by the garbage coming from the legacy media, which is the propaganda arm of the state, that they see a completely different Canada than it really is. Yeah. That our country is basically 
two groups of people that see completely different countries. Mm -hmm. And Tabitha was talking about this yeah. as well. Even, even Aaron, Aaron's been clear that what they were saying about what was happening at Windsor is not what was happening at the Ambassador Bridge. He was there. He lived his church is 10 minutes from the ambassador yeah. bridge and it's He's right there in the midst of it. It's interesting, Andrew, despite. So despite their, I think, over exaggeration of what took place in a lot of these events, even dis despite all of that, the conclusion was so thin, right? right? Like, like they had to overblow and exaggerate all these things to create a narrative that then acted as the predicate to just even, on the just thinnest read just, possible, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, just, come to this conclusion. It just registered enough to get it. So we, yeah, yeah, we, we live in a world where the people you talk to about the convoy, the mandates, the effectiveness of the jabs, the masks, all that stuff. These people, they are not just fighting for a position they know is fallacious. Mm -hmm. They're deceived. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they are not the same people we knew three years ago. Their brains have lit. There are, there are studies that show that the free floating fear and anxiety over and over again will actually map out new neural pathways in the brain that brain activity is different i mean th these are not the same people fear has changed their brain chemistry propaganda has changed their brain chemistry they really believe that this is the country we live in so we need to be honest about the fact that we don't have the common ground we need to keep hopefully bombarding them with truth in a loving kind honest and direct way but That's they really really believe that this is where we're we're at that many people actually believe that what we're about to show you is it's an accurate true. description uh. of what went on during the convoy and the in, what were the honest intentions of the organizers now I'll say before we play this if you have a weak stomach and you are prone to vomiting <laughs> or seizures Sit down and have a bowl beside you because this is one of the grossest things I have heard in the last three years. You've been warned. But the organizers, the central organizers, made it very clear what their goal was. Their goal <laughs> no. was to overthrow the government. They didn't hide that. They stated it very boldly on a website. They've repeated it in, in, in numerous press conferences. They wanted to overthrow a dem democratically elected government with a committee of their own choosing. I mean, it was very clear what their goal was. And the fact that policing and other levels, other security forces were colluding with these folks is deeply concerning. Like their goal was not uh, an innocuous goal. Their goal was to overthrow government um, and to replace it like in a fascist way without having any elections. Ah, there's the good Marxist. <laughs> I, dude, so, dude me, it, no, I have to say something. because. That is absolutely not like Jake Meat is showing his hand. He didn't read the report. He didn't even read the executive summary. He was never in Ottawa. Because <laughs> because you you have to understand that is not the conclusion that the report comes to. It, it, even Rouleau in his idiocy in in his conclusion said that it was not that the, that the he over and over and over again. The, the reality of the situation that Rouleau has to admit is that it was an organically spontaneous protest that 
caught fire because of the COVID lockdowns and restrictions, that there was various groups with various different motives, and that that was never seriously the objective of the convoy. In fact, the only thing that tied this disparate group of people together, as we've made mention when we are talking to Tabitha, was the fact that they were sick of government trampling on their civil liberties mm-hmm. and it through throughout the two years of the COVID pandemic. That is the tie that binds what he just said is an insane leftist conspiracy theory. And just like any good fascist or, or any good fascist, well, he's more of a fascist than the people he accuses of being fascist, but any good Marxist, they say, Oh, this is a fascistic overthrow of government, but they believe capitalism so-called free market exchange is the product of fascism so that shows shows you their level of standard for for what they consider fascism um we should also point out this is the same guy who peddled this insane russian collusion conspiracy theory as a justification for b bill c11 to take effect in Canada because we government the liberals aren't being strong enough. Yes. That's what he said. And then in the irony of all ironies, Andrew irony of irony. Sorry. Someone is at the front doorbell. Sorry. It's the government. (laughs) I got to, I got to wrap up real quick. Um, In the irony of all ironies, Andrew, a week later after he made those comments, it might have even just been a day or two. They literally came out with a huge report showing that all all the narrative surrounding Russian collusion was so drastically over exaggerated that it's beyond you know, even stating it's, it's such a crazy conspiracy theory that it was not worthy of the attention that it got. And yet this man who's saying that there's this sort of conspiracy to overthrow the government that there's not. And the, the report doesn't suggest there is he's forwarding these conspiracy theories. And that's the crazy part. We're the ones who are objectively looking at the law, the standards, the things that actually took place on the ground we're the conspiracy theorists, but he's actually mm-hmm. the conspiracy theory theorist. And this is just another wonderful example of the um, iron law of woke projection. But I don't think he believes that, Matt. I really I don't think he actually believes that. I think he I don't think he believes that that's what was going on. I think he knows that's what he needs to say to, say to, to inflame the discussion yeah. that I believe he hates he hates everything that Canada stands for. Mm-hmm. He hates Western civilization and Western culture. And he hates the freedoms and liberties and foundation that make our country great. He- One sec. Okay. So, Matt, I, I don't think... Oh, that's too close. Hold on. There we go. My mic's <laughs> close. Let's try that again. So, Matt, I don't, I don't think he actually believes that. To be honest with you, I, I don't think he believes that that, that that was the intention of the organizers. I think he knows what was going on, but I think he's specifically using this inflammatory false narrative to drive an agenda. I believe that he hates Canada and all that it stands for. He hates Western culture and Western civilization. He hates the freedoms and liberties and foundations of what make our country what it is. And in prime 
Marxist deconstructionist fashion. He wants to tear down the systems that exist, and he wants to see Canada turn into this utopia that exists in his mind. But I don't think he believes that. I don't think he actually believes what he said there, but he's using that kind of language in order to anger Canadians, in order to further the divide and further the wedge so that Canada can be torn down and then rebuilt in his image. So that, And here's the problem. He doesn't believe that. I don't think he actually believes that. He's just saying that. The problem is that there are people that do believe that, though. There are people who hear this rhetoric from people like him, from the legacy media, from our prime minister, who actually believe that that's what's going on and they continue. So there's there was a, an Angus Reid poll that it was released two weeks ago. The poll was taken in December of 2022. This poll found that 51% of Canadian respondents said convoy protest posed a threat of espionage, sabotage, foreign influence, serious violence, or an overthrow of the Canadian government. 51%. Half of all Canadians said that the War Measures Act was needed to clear the protesters. Apparently, that half of Canada didn't view a single ounce of the Public Order Emergency Commission and didn't listen to the testimony. So here you have half of Canada saying it was a threat. We needed the act, even though all the evidence was to the contrary. Why? Why would they believe that? Because... And I'll preface this by saying one of the things that's been said about us is our strong inflammatory language. <laughs> Jagmeet Singh <laughs> is a despicable, disgusting, vile, evil, awful, sinful, wicked man mm -hmm. who should be thrust out of office by his constituents mm -hmm. because he desires to tear down all that makes Canada great and dismantle all the vestiges of Western culture. And so he pushes his false his satanic lie so that half of Canadians are deceived. Mm -hmm. And that's why we live in the country we live in right now, where we, we live in a country that is two different Canadas, depending on who you speak Almost to. Almost literally. Canada that's reality. Half, right? Yeah, there's a Canada that's the reality that we live in. And then there is this Marxist utopia version of Canada or that that's what it needs to become. And so in order to do what needs to happen to get to that point, the version of Canada that's believed by apparently half the country is a fairy tale. It's not real. Thank you to people like Jagmeet Singh for continuing to deceive and brainwash Canadians to believe that it is the Canada we live in. Mm -hmm. and that's again, the first that's the first again, real thing we need to take away from this again it needs to be pointed out 51 of people percent of people responding to this their feelings apparently are higher than CSIS's standard as it right. pertains to threats to Correct. national security so subjective it's the subjective though right yeah exactly so that's that's the first little bit by way of takeaway the second bit by takeaway which is um equally depressing, if I might say so, is that our current political system and essentially all those in power, all of those people who are in a position to really make decisions to enact legislation, my contention is they are either 
evil and corrupt WEF puppets or they're cowardly fake conservatives who basically look, they're basically liberals in blue that want to spend less. And as Aaron rock had, would say, just pump the brakes into utter devastation. So here <laughs> is an example because you're going to, if this question was asked to someone, for example, like Maxime Bernier or someone like Randy Hillier, and they were, and the question was, and this, and this question or was Ron asked DeSantis. Them, or Ron DeSantis yeah. or Rick Nichols, whatever. Yeah. If they were asked this question, the answer they would give would be no, I do not go back on what I said, mm -hmm. but watch now, watch the dance, the dance in blue, the devil with the blue dress on, who's going to answer this question. Here's exhibit a of why I think that our political system it's either WEF puppets or fake Controlled opposition conservatives <laughs> yeah. who are blue liberals. Here's exhibit A. Uh, Justice Rouleau said that he did not accept the organizers' descriptions of the protest as lawful, calm, peaceful, or something resembling a celebration. He wrote that the bigger picture reveals the situation in Ottawa was unsafe and chaotic. Justice Rouleau also found that the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act was justified. Do you accept Justice Rulo's findings and do you regret endorsing the Freedom Convoy? Well, he should have just said no. Yeah, and that breath and that side, that's all you need to go right there. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so here's the issue. You're, you're going to see him push back. So we have to give him some credit where credit's due. He's going to only not accept he doesn't want. He doesn't want to alienate his base. He needs to make it seem like he's really for them. But That's yeah, so the the problem I'm much is more cynical than you are, Matt. The, That's... the the problem is he's not Ron DeSantis at being able to demonstrably speak out and say no that's baloney it's a bad decision and then take the necessary actions that would be required to combat that situation. He tries to kind of have that flavor but he just won't go all the way and it leaves him in this really awkward spot but here it is first of all you, you your question was typical of cbc bias again you fair, uh, fair. forgot to mention what the report said which is um more more of an effort should have been made by government leaders at all levels during the protest to acknowledge that the majority of protesters were exercising their fundamental democratic rights what i said before during and after the protest was that i condemn anyone who behaves badly breaks laws or blockades too much critical infrastructure while standing on the side of the hard-working people who have suffered so much uh. under eight years of Justin Trudeau and were desperately trying to have their voices heard against an insulting and divisive prime minister. So that much I agree with. And that, that's where it's kind of tricky because you can see how oh, he's trying to give a good response. But again, just like Danielle Smith, the left says you need to apologize. She's like, okay, I will. He has to measure. He can't just demonstrably say this is baloney. Your media company was a big reason why this, uh, the, the, the heightened rhetoric in this whole situation took place. Justin Trudeau is a man who never once in good faith came to the table and they're going to take this as a victory. But really what that decision is, it's, it's, it's justice Rouleau hedging his bets. It's him trying to 
you know, split the baby. And it's not based off of objective facts. It's based off of his subjective opinion. And that is something that I'm not going to apologize for supporting Canadian civic rights and their freedoms based off the subjective wins of a retired judge. I'm sorry, I won't do it. That's the response we need from leaders. Mm -hmm. But or, and again, that, that was that was a let's be, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. That was a slimy, politically advantageous kind of answer. Like you can see right away, he's going. He's trying to go for political points. Yeah. What's the first play? CBC. Well, that, that's very that's very CBC of you. No, no. Yeah. For, listen, that's not the question. The question is, and the, the question that was posed to him was one of his own integrity, one mm -hmm. of his own character. You supported this thing, Polly Ever. You supported the convoy. And now Justice Rouleau has found that the prime minister's use of power was appropriate. So do you still stand by the freedom convoy? He should have said, yes, I do. They were lawfully there. It wasn't what they said. I still support them, but he can't do that. And you know why he can't do that? Because he's concerned about his position and he's playing the pragmatic political move and he's not being a man of integrity. And that's why he and everyone like him and all they represent are utterly useless for real conservatism and freedom in our country and the whole thing must be abandoned and lord willing it will burn to the ground politically i'm not calling for real violence here but there will be a political burning to the ground of that blue demon institution because that is not a that is not an answer that comes from a principled position of integrity that is a pragmatic political appease my base but not alienate part of my base that might not agree with me. That was a calculated utilitarian response to the question. What we needed was someone saying, no, I stand by the convoy. They were done dirty. That The, the whole thing was lawless. And the, the, the POEC was a joke because no elected official was asked to testify. No constitutional law experts were asked to testify. How about a single person? How about a citizen in Ottawa who was there at the convoy every it, single day on the ground. They weren't asked to testify. Andrew, no, he's, Andrew, he should have been honest about that, but he, Andrew, he didn't. It also has to be pointed out, the Ontario government didn't really participate in the commission. So no, even, even Rouleau said he's making this finding on like inadequate, incomplete information because the Ontario government under Ford, again, blue devils, um, uh, they didn't, they didn't uh, go along with the commission. So how can you really adequately make a proper informed decision on the role and responsibility of the provincial government in dealing with these issues um, before it even gets to the invocation of the EA if you don't have the full picture? So it raises a lot of concerns. But again, you can just see the, 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 the machinations working in polyevra's mind right yeah it's not a genuine response it's not out of condition he's already flipping you can see as the question's being asked I, he's I, flipping I, through his book he's like oh i have a good answer for you listen we don't need politicians that are going to give the good answer that are going to need someone who will say and, yeah yeah i don't no 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 it's that is that has failed us 
yeah. our political our political leaders the people we've elected to represent us they have failed us they are they are pragmatic they're about political expediency and be and what is politically advantageous they're mm -hmm. concerned about their political careers and any politician who would speak out actually in defense of their constituents are kicked out of caucus are censored are not allowed to actually represent their people that's that that's what's going on right now so so that that's the second takeaway that we need to demand new principled politicians you need to stop voting for the parties that tell you oh, if you vote for us we'll help you and we'll blah 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 and you don't want the liberals mm -hmm. because what have they done nothing we need to start we need to stop voting based on pragmatics we need to stop voting based on what is utilitarian and it's time that we start voting according to our conscience we make principled votes where we vote for people with integrity people who will actually represent us as our elected officials if we don't do that we will see no change there will be no change in the political system if we don't stop playing the well if i don't vote conservative the liberals will get in okay but there's no difference i'm sorry there's no difference it's time to start voting principled it's time to start voting for people who will actually do what they say and represent their people well, which is one of the things that we are trying to do. It's our goal here at LCC is not to get certain political parties in power. Mm -hmm. Our goal is not that we're going to be political action groups for the no, no, no. Our, one of our goals here is to help train Christians who will engage in politics with integrity. Our goal is to train them and equip them and help them think about biblical principles and politics. So when they run as school board trustee or MPP or when they run for city council, they're running based on biblical principles, wanting to actually represent their people well and do what is right. We're committed to that. It's time that we need to stop voting in terms of pragmatics and mm -hmm. start voting principle. That's the second takeaway for us. Mm -hmm. coming out of this and the third one is simply this support institutions <laughs> yeah it is the propaganda of the legacy media and it is the propaganda that we see from our elected officials that are why we're in the position we are and why half of canadians are utterly deceived about what's going on that's why we need to exist and that's what we want to do to bring an objective it's biased we have our biases but we want to bring an objective biblically founded view worldview and news analysis on all things canada we want to inform you what's really going on we want to give you the receipts we mm -hmm. want to help you understand canada as it is not canada as it has been painted by the marxists and so we need your help to get the truth out from a christian foundation and so mm -hmm. we want to we're going to for the next couple of weeks we're going to keep teasing at we're going to keep telling you about the coalition we want yes. you to join, join it. the coalition. We are moving to have our club that you can join, our subscription-based club, and we're going to say nothing's changing in terms of the content we bring you. You're going to get all the same shows, all the same stuff. Actually, but we're going shows. to add, it's <laughs> right, you are going to be getting more shows, more content, extended mm -hmm. stuff in the club, you're going to be getting and we want it we're going to introduce new daily audio news briefs monday to friday we're partnering with a bunch of friends at carpe fide the ezra institute 
and Resistance Coffee Company, like I said before, even though they're closing up shop, Resistance Coffee Company is going to be providing everyone who signs up with us in the first few weeks a super-duper limited-run roast, Freedom Fuel, you're only going to be able to get now and never again. And so you please be ready as more information comes out. Be ready to join the coalition. Support us so that we can keep supporting you, so that we can keep informing you, so that we can keep doing the work that we're doing to bring you honest news analysis and, and journalism and, and the truth, the truth from a biblical worldview. That's what we want to do here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Well said. Thank you, everybody. It's been an extra long program, but I think given the fact, given the circumstances, it was needed. So yeah, share do, this, share this with your friends, yes, watch it, please. share with your friends, like, subscribe, comment, mm-hmm. get this out because you're not going to see, you're going to see people on it. Clearly the legacy media is going to have a certain spin, Yeah, but even our other friends in the conservative freedom news movement, they're not going to be bringing this to you from a Christian perspective, from a biblical worldview, from an objective truth standard. So share this out, get this out for people to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. We do appreciate you giving us so much of your time. And uh, we will say God bless. And at the end of every episode, we like to say for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel, as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com. Friends, we're posting new content multiple times every week throughout our various shows on this channel so you're going to want to subscribe to it and hit that notification bell that way you stay up to date with everything that we're releasing here with the liberty coalition canada